Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Welcome back, couch potatoes and TV junkies. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Picked Up, the TV <laughs> Pilot Review Podcast. My name is Robert, and I'm sitting here, as always, with my good friend, former roommate, and co-host, Rich. Good evening, or wherever, whatever time you're listening. Morning, probably. Let's be realistic. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Uh, that's a... We've been throwing out a lot of teases. Yeah, I'm trying to, like, uh, like throw a reference to what we watched yeah. in, in my... In your thing, opening? In my yeah. opening, yeah. Hell yeah. It's been great. I feel like the last... Three or four episodes. There's been a nice little, little hint about what our show will be for this. Yeah, week, like a little already know. Yeah, well, you should probably know. Uh, you should know because it's in the title. It's in the title. <laughs> if you're blind listening to this show, one, God bless you. Yeah, thank Two, you. How do you do that? That's insane. If you just stole someone else's phone, yeah, started listening to this. <laughs> After you finish listening, give it back. <laughs> Listen to better podcasts. Yeah. Uh, our apologies if you can hear. We're sharing uh, uh, the studio next door with John Lennon and the Beatles, if you can't hear. Yeah. Uh, but it's a Saturday, so that means my neighbors are listening to fucking Beatles on vinyl um, at 10. It is very, very, very loud. This is every Saturday. I mean, it is. It's also very much frequently like every afternoon, too. Have you spoken to them about this? I don't look at my neighbors. Gotcha. It's not super disruptive. No, like half the time it's just like, oh yeah, that's a good yeah, song. I like that song, but it's just so clear. Like there, whatever song is playing, like I know exactly what it is. Yeah, they're Clearly. playing Imagine earlier, um, uh, uh, Sergeant Pepper's earlier. Uh, so like, and usually it sticks to Beatles. Yeah, because also like all our neighbors are just garbage college students. Yeah, which. I feel is some sort of circular, just like payback like for karmic. Yes, one hundred percent for the fucking trash that we were in college. <laughs> so like, I can't. They'll have parties, and it's fucking horrible. And I just feel like inside, I can't say shit. Yeah, because like I, that was. How many times were we doing that and someone just, like, tolerated it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, granted, like, we were having cool fucking fun parties and we weren't, you know, having cliche toga parties, which I feel like they've had, like, multiple toga parties within months, which, like, no, at the very, at the, at the, at the most, that is a once a year thing. Yeah. That's bullshit. Yeah. So, I mean, like, they just don't have any direction. I feel like I, sh I should go down there if for anything... To just show them the way. Yeah. But, you know, also at the same time, it's like, oh, who's this fucking old fuck with gray in his hair, like, coming down thinking he knows how to party? You're going to spook him. They'll get, they'll get real, real income. No, I don't know. It's, um... That's why I have you there with me. Yeah. To, I'll smack him, and then you shotgun a beer, and they're like, all right, there they're, they're legit. The cred, the cred yeah. just materializes off yeah. the bat. And then I have, like, a seizure. <laughs> <laughs> There was oh, another time, I feel like I've talked about this a lot, there was another time that they were just playing, like, old-timey, creepy calliope music. Um, is that, like, the real, like, woo like, instrument? Like, no, like, circus music. Oh. 
fucking annoying. Like, late at night, I'm here by myself. Like, Liz is, like, out of town. And I just hear, boop, 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 Oh, my. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna fucking die. Yeah. Gonna die. The lights start flickering. For real. Uh, Speaking of super creepy, I don't know if you listened to the elevator pitch this week, but our last week, um, or Dilettante Ball even last week, but um, from Johnny, uh, Johnny was mostly the one who was like fucking heralding it. I started listening to the Black Tapes podcast. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. It is fucking creepy, dog. Cool. It is very effectively scary. Like straight up, I was binging it because like they're in their second season now. And they're taking a break right now. But I was, uh, I, I came home, and no one else was home. All the lights were off, and it was one of those things where it's like I've been listening to it all day. And I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just gonna put all, every light on. Yeah, I'm, you know, just like because we have them, and we should like see everything, mm-hmm. see everything. Yeah. Not because of I'm actually, you know, like letting this stuff get in my head. I'm not, but it is good. It is very good and effective and creepy. Um, actually, uh, 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 Tati, uh, tw- uh, tweeted me, um, about it. Hold on, let me get to this right here. Uh, cause I, 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 I'm glad that she started listening to it. I'm, I, like, you should start listening to it. It's fucking really, really good. Um, and it, it's, and it's, it's like horror based or like, yeah. So the, um, sort of, it's uh, sort of all of that. So the sort of premises, the pitch on it is, um, uh, there it's a um, a serial type uh, show. Oh, um, okay. so a journalistic approach, and they're going to do the story on this place called the Strand Institute, which is like a real place like this. Um, and he, it's a uh, an institute where they debunk, um, you know, videos and uh, you know any sort of like you know pictures or anything like that with you know paranormal evidence, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's in the office and there's like a whole stack of like white VHS tape boxes. So, oh, what are all those? Oh, those are all the, the cases that we were able to successfully uh, debunk using science and all that. And then off to the other side, smaller case, uh, with like a few black VHS tapes. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, oh, what are those? And it's like, oh, those are the... Those are the cases that we haven't been able to debunk yet. Yeah, they're still pending. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and oh, so man. they just like go through each one of those. Um, it's so fucking good. That is so great. Yeah. Um, have I talked before on this podcast about the uh, the wiki? What is it? The secure the SCP wiki. Uh, Spencer and I were trying to figure out the name of that the other night. Yeah, the SCP. It's like secure, contain, protect. Yes. Program or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, man. That sounds similar, and um, this is something I'll we'll definitely check out because that website kicks ass. Like, there's a couple. I mean, some of them are weird, but then there's a couple articles, and they're written sure. as wiki articles that are fantastic. Yeah, they're scary. Uh, well, and and um, what Tati said at Tati Gator. Uh, thankfully, the voice acting in the black tapes is very bad, or else it'd be too spoopy for me. Um, <laughs> which I, I. I don't know if she's right or because I thought it's it's really good. Okay. Um, but that might also just be in comparison to another show that tried to do the same sort of thing in the serial style approach. Um, it was a show called Limetown. 
where, like, this, you know, investigator, she was, you know, trying to do research into, like, this town that, like, disappeared or whatever. It was, like, it, one, story-wise, just ramped up way too quickly, and two, that was atrocious voice acting. So maybe just in comparison, having heard that first, uh, like, this is, this is in comparison really good. I mean, there definitely are still some moments where it's like, oh, that guy wasn't very good. Okay. But you also have to use, like, fucking dozens of people. Sure. You know? You can't just, say, like, cycle through the same cast. There's not, like, a cast, you know? it's all different situations and yeah. events, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you're interviewing, like, a, you know, like, up to four to six people, like, for any different case. Uh, plus, like, you tap people to, like, do other research and stuff like that. Like, there's three main people. Um, uh, uh. Alex Regan, uh, the, her producer Nick, and then Richard Strand, Dr. Richard Strand of the Strand Institute. Those are your three names. Um, but then everyone else has got to be fucking different. Cool. So, but yeah, it's, it's fucking, it's fucking dope. The black tapes. The black tapes. Oh, man. That yeah. does sound great. Um, I'm all about that. Like I said, any sort of horror anthology, and <laughs> horror with a, just an overarching, and just, I love that this is a great medium of just purely that, you know, just sound. Yeah. Just sound and voices, music. Because I was, I was talking with someone else at work, too. Because, like, for the medium, the medium and the genre especially. Sorry, I, I cut you off. Sort of no, right no, no, no. But, like, it's also extra effective because what else is fucking scarier than your imagination? Absolutely. Absolutely. God, so good. This is uh, much like our show, which we will discuss in uh, just a little bit later on. It's a, it takes a great understanding to know that sort of the less that there's objectively on the screen yeah. or being said, the more that the audience is going to fill in every blank Dog, yes. and be very scary. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. How appropriate. This is very, it's a very appropriate podcast to bring up for us. Uh, for real. Yeah. But yeah, man. Um, uh, aside from that, what you watching? What am I watching? Not much. Uh, yeah. Not much of anything different. I think it's, it would be fun to share the story. Um uh, through one of the dear friends of our show, uh, uh, Rich was able to get his hands on uh, some DVDs of the Mr. Robot series. So this set of DVDs, and uh, and this is uh, obviously I'm a great sinner because I've wanted to see the show for such a long time, but still haven't watched it. Rich was kind enough to lend it to me. So I get home last week or two weeks ago and realize I don't have anything that can play DVDs anymore. I have like a Chromebook. I just got a sweet ass new MacBook for my job, mm-hmm. which does not have a disk drive. And I have a, a nice TV, but no no DVD player. Yeah. So I basically had this beautiful like four disc set of Mr. Robot for two weeks and I couldn't watch it at all. <laughs> which is frustrating, but it also just goes to show like those are what's obsolete now. Yeah, it's weird. If it were just like one USB drive. Yeah. Perfect. But, but, yeah, that but, is much easier to fucking use mm-hmm. than what the actual like medium is supposed to be. Yeah, or or like a code, like a cloud code mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know. I don't know. I would not know much about that, but but yeah, I could. I still have not seen this fucking show. <laughs> I'm so sad. I know. I got to work on it. Um, I watched. Uh, the full season two of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt on okay. Netflix, um, which I feel bad about watching before like 
Daredevil season two, but they're half an hour and they're just easier to, to get through. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, I uh, I feel like there's a lot to actually like talk about from our conversation that we had two weeks ago about The Office, as far as that. Um, well, and and our conversation about The Office, Parks and Rec, and Thirty Rock, and that cross section or like the the relationship of characters and jokes and story. Yeah. Um, because Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, uh, created and produced by Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, uh, who were like, you know, the puppeteers and hands and the forces behind 30 Rock, mm-hmm. from what I believe, from what I understand. Yeah. Um, this is, you know, their show, but it's like, it's just a Netflix version now too, because season one, they were making a show for the network. They were making a show under uh, the assumption it was going to be for NBC. I did not know that. Yeah. Hmm. And then, like, NBC's like, eh, we're, uh, we don't know. Uh, so Netflix is like, yeah, Doug, come and fucking, yo, come chill, Doug, because we're Netflix. Let's fucking do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so this season was the first time that they were just making it straight for for Netflix. Right. Um, it, was it the same order of, like, the same number of episodes? I think so, yeah. Okay. They're around. Um, and, uh, yeah. Um, you know, they definitely kind of, it's not like they just started like swearing up a bunch or anything like that, but like the jokes were like a little bit more like very pointed, uh, towards like one direction or something like that. You know, like, uh, in the last episode, there's a character getting on a bus, um, and it, and, (laughs) uh, the, the bus company is called Jerome Bettis Lines. Okay. Because he was the bus. Oh, that's right. <laughs> like. Who did he play for? The Steelers. But, like, who are you making that joke, joke for? for? Yeah, like, holy shit. You're, I feel like that was just for me because no one else watching that show is going to get that. That is lying. Um, and just, like, a bunch of other, like, super specific jokes. And uh, <laughs> it was really weird. It caught me very off guard. When did he play football? I only barely know that. Mostly the 90s, and he retired, I want to say, in like 2005 or 6. Okay. Yeah. They're not that old, but... 10 years ago! But an obscure... I mean... Well, maybe not. No. Great question, though. It's pretty obscure. Who is that joke for? Yeah. Is it for... Like, you had to get that graphic made up and put on a bus. Right. That... Joke had to go through several layers of production. Mm-hmm. And legal, even? Yeah. You know, be like, can we say this? Can or? we use his name? Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, that was just fucking bonkers to me. Yeah. But um, it also, just the show in general, uh, brought up this idea in a show that is so uh, hinged on the quote-unquote joke um, that, like, we hadn't, that we hadn't really touched on last time. And that's like the... Ease of uh, of like getting to the joke, like yeah, and I'm not I'm not like talking about like low hanging fruit or anything, but like through the course of your writing, mm-hmm. like if you have to fucking go all the way around and like manufacture so much shit just to get to your punchline, mm-hmm. that kind of feels a little forced. Whereas like yeah. if it's just natural within what's actually happening. That's much more fucking gratifying, and you look smarter from doing it. 
you think Kim Schmidt is this season in particular is falling in the former, where it's evident that there you guys are really doing a lot of footwork. I feel like joking. even the first season did that. Okay, yeah. What's um, the saying? It's like. That was a long walk for a short drink or something yeah, like that. It's yeah. like that took a lot of setup yeah. for like, that was a joke. Okay. Yeah. And, and you know, even on another level, you think about it and you're just like, you've been, have you been wanting to make that joke that bad right. that you fucking did all this just to get to that? I think we know people, and this is, you know, again, we're not professionals yet or whatever, but in the course of our doing comedy and improv in sketch writing, you know, you know, certain people like will fall in love with a joke and they sure. won't let it go. Sure. You know, and it's like this, maybe it's even funny, but it's really not fitting here. Yeah. It, versus like people who are more, it's good to be more flexible. I mm-hmm. think, you know, in our experience, if someone who's like can let go of a baby and you know, or whether it's a whole sketch idea or even just one line. Yeah. But there's definitely people who it's like, no, this has to be in. It's like, God, this is a subtraction by addition yes. right here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, there's there are a few times in the show, and just, you know, in general when trying to do that, where it is a sort of out-of-the-way setup, but it's either the elaborateness or, the like, that is actually also well thought out and written as well. Okay. Where, like, it does work. We did take this sort of long detour to get there, but the detour was fun to do. Um, but there's other times, man, like, most of the time, it's just, it's just like, no, we could have, we could have just kept going. Yeah. Um, because that was not worth it. You know, Rich is on me. I'm going to, I swear to God, I'm going to start watching more TV. Because I know you could bring out more specific examples if we had more of the same viewing palette. So, no, that's, I actually couldn't. I just, like, it's just something reoccurring that I, I noticed. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't really, like, writing down, like, exactly what they were. Um, I, I don't know about this show in particular, but I, I do feel like there are... The fandom fandom is at a point where, like, it's providing, like, a maybe an undeserved amount of shielding for, for certain flaws in products. You know, I can't say I know a ton of diehard Kimmy Schmidt fans. Sure. But at least at least first season, I feel like the groundswell for it was like, oh my God, you know, whatever. And, mm-hmm. and it even struck me then. I was like, is this, how good is this show? Or are people just kind of freaking out over it? I don't know. I guess I I'm mean, just hating on people. First, well, the first <laughs> season definitely finished like incredibly strong. Okay. Uh, on, on the back of John Hamm. No. Um, oh, and they ended the end of the season to provide any spoilers. They ended the season um, implying that he's going to have a big hand in the third season. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm very, very, very happy about that. Yeah, uh, here's a, here's an example of a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, fuck. Here's the thing. They made a joke about John Hamm's character in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, uh, 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 thinking that he was. Don Draper. Because, uh, like, oh, yeah, you spent all this time being held captive by a guy who thought he came up with the Give the World a Coke song. <laughs> Which <laughs> is the end of Mad Men. Spoiler. Okay. Uh, but it's just, like... Probably didn't... It's not really a joke so much as it's a... 
a reference. Yeah, it's a reference, but it's also like it sort of takes you like out of place and oh, just gets you like way mm. off track, like thought wise. Yeah, I'm thinking about. I'm like processing that right now, and it, it, it just stuck out. Yeah. Well, another thing, you know, and maybe maybe a way to lead into the show. Yeah, this idea of seamlessness. You know, a lot of times, successful storytelling and successful comedy is like, it's just seamless. You know, you don't yeah. even know it. Anytime, anytime you you can pick up on anything in particular, get distracted by something, get pulled out of a story, you know, that's probably indicating, like, maybe this is a weak point. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm realizing right now, like, towards the end of the season, it did provide, you know, a lot more... Um, uh, emotionally uh, satisfying moments, mm-hmm. um, which was surprising as how emotionally uh, uh, unattached it is, just usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was cool uh, that those snuck up on you. Um, but again, like, I don't know what it is about the show. It's very, like, backloaded. Neat. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. I, I, I sort of finished Flaked. I watched, like, almost, like all of Flaked. Yeah. I was just... <laughs> like morbidly fascinated with it for some reason, <laughs> and you needed to like power through it. And it was pretty weak. I, there's there's like one or two decent plot elements. I mean that's like it. And the, yeah. And and the setting is cool, but it is um, it's pretty weak. All right, man. Uh, so yeah, I could yeah I, I don't know. Um, it it's very someone someone wrote that it's kind of like it's almost like when you watch a sitcom that's had its laugh track removed. It's yeah. like there's spacing for like what they thought was funny, but um, no real. It's so stilted. It's so the language and the the mm. performances are really, really just uncomfortably stilted. It's like everyone's running on like a different time. Yeah, I don't know, huh? Which is disappointing because I That's love. It's really weird. Yeah, but avoid that one. That's yeah. really all I can say. Yeah. It's not horrible. It's just there's nothing getting there. Yeah, but Venice is cool looking. I don't know. Sure. Why not? Sure. It's probably great. It's probably great. Like most California. Yeah. Or at least the geography. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to um, get to uh, get to the uh, the, 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 the uh, main event? Uh, yeah. Let's do it. Let's get to the main event after this. Good evening. Welcome back, everybody. So, for this week's show, Rich and I watched the pilot episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And you just heard the intro music to Alfred Hitchcock Presents, which is, is you know, I think uh, goes up there as, as, like... Oh, iconic? Ico- like, I wanted to say, like, underground iconic. Underground iconic. Because it's not like Lucy or Happy Days or something like that. Right. But it's definitely. I feel like the intro and song and like the the silhouette thing was like referenced on like fucking Animaniacs and Tiny Toon Adventures and the shit. Simpsons, all yeah, yeah, very frequently. Yeah. Um, so like, it's multi generations should know the reference. Yes, I read that that song's called "Funeral for a Marionette," which is I. You know what? I get it. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. I can see that. 
Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah, uh, and this was a listener pick, right? This was a yes yeah, pick from uh, Marley Gilliam on Facebook. Very cool. Well, thank you, Marley. Uh, thanks for your patience uh, and us getting to this pick. Um, but yeah, this is a uh, this is a twenty six minute anthology, of course, headed up by famous uh, British film director Albert Hitchcock. Yep. This is from nineteen fifty five, and I don't, do you recall where it aired on? Um, Let's see here. Um, you know, I don't... Let me see if I can pull this up. Um, Not that it matters. Uh, it aired on CBS, I guess, first, and then it moved over to NBC. Gotcha. Yeah, it aired on CBS from 55 to 60, NBC from 60 to 62, went back to CBS from 62 to 64, then back to NBC for its last season. That bad old bastard couldn't make up his mind. <laughs> That's a, wow. That's a pretty mean thing to say about probably probably one of the top five film directors of all yeah. time. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, uh, the episode was entitled Revenge, uh, starring Ralph Meeker, Vera Miles. Um, basically, this couple moved to um, this trailer park like on a beach in California right. back before it was less of a status symbol and more of a life choice. <laughs> Yeah, uh, done in particular to sort of calm the nerves of the the lady who had, yes. it implied had had a breakdown, mm-hmm. you know, earlier. Um, and so, uh, while the husband Carl is at work, um, the wife gets attacked and traumatized. Mm-hmm. Um, so cops come in, doctor comes in. Uh, there's like a very vague description of the the person that came in and traumatized her. Um, and then we'll kind of probably fill in the blanks later, but, um, uh, just off the top, uh, from, from, from start to finish, like including the intros and outros by, uh, Hitchcock himself. Um, what are your thoughts? How, uh, how are you feeling about this? Well, you know, this is me coming in already with a Alfred Hitchcock, uh, familiarity. I'm a big fan. I really, really love Let's it. start there. Yeah, let's start yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty familiar with Alfred Hitchcock, although this show, just the fact of when this show came out, let me talk, like, taught me something. Uh, I'm a real big fan of Alfred Hitchcock. I am a real big fan of many of his films. I'm looking up his filmography right now. Yeah. And, um, I've seen most of these. Really? Yeah. Uh, there's a couple big ones that I have not seen. But he was like one of those dudes that would like do one every like year or two, right? And Alfred Hitchcock like started making movies in like the late 20s, early yeah. 30s in England. Then came over, really hit his stride in the in the late 40s. The 50s was like his like home run era, mm-hmm. and then into the, the 60s, yeah, and then and, and television. Uh, huge fan, love Rear Window. Love Shadow of Doubt. Love North by Northwest. Um, what else is going on there? Notor- what, if you want to see an excellent old Hollywood film, watch Notorious from 1946 with, I think 46, with Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman and Claude Rains. Yeah. And it is fantastic. Um, so I'm a really big fan. Love the style. Again, um, a style that's very focused on... Uh, in, obviously interesting cinematography, but a lot to do with like dramatic irony and kind of like yeah. putting the the audience in a really tense, uh, tension filled position. Uh, so I love them. How about you? Um, I haven't seen nearly as much as you have. I, I've seen. I could probably name them all off. Actually, 
Um, the bird. I saw the birds really young. Maybe too young? Uh, or just really young? Really young? I don't think it matters how young I was because I was still confused by it either way. Yeah. But, <laughs> all right. I guess. Why? I, yeah. Does this happen? Um, I also remember there used to be like an Alfred Hitchcock. I don't know if it's still there. There used to be an Alfred Hitchcock like uh, uh, like exhibit exhibit attraction at Universal Studios. Yeah. Which they actually like the last big set piece for Kimmy Schmitz at Universal Studios, which I think is really cool. In Orlando? In Orlando. Oh, cool. Yeah. Super cool. That is neat. Um, uh, like good for that getting like some show love instead of like it's oh. always Disney. I mean, granted, they have the... NBC Universal fucking tie in there, so it's just easier. But still, yeah. not used enough. Yeah, sorry. No. So no I remember also very young, like seeing that as well, and so like the image of like the Bates Motel was always in my head as well. Not the Bates Motel, but the house, the Bates house. Yeah, was always in my head. Um, I, I've, uh, yeah, I've seen all of Psycho, but again, I saw it like pretty early. Yeah. Um, I've seen. And then probably like my favorites, these are the last two that I've seen, were uh, Strangers on a Train. Which kicks ass. Oh. Yeah. And Vertigo. Yeah. Um, what do you think of Vertigo? Vertigo's kind of confusing. Well, that's how I feel. <laughs> I mean, it very well may be, but I remember uh, just having to watch it for a film class and expecting to go give it the the, the old, yeah, I mean, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um and not really like it that much, but I remember really liking it. That's cool. Yeah, I like really dug it, and I it it's definitely have it definitely has elements of confusion in it. Like confusion is a plot device in the movie. Yeah. So, but I feel like, and I definitely there were definitely moments where I was I was like, wait, is she? Who's that? Is she this? Or is she really? So I think that's kind of like what it's playing on. Yeah. It's certainly something that, like, if you're the type of audience member who has to have, like, a put a bow on it conclusion. Yeah. Not going to like it. Stay away. There's a lot of, most Hitchcock films do have a real solid resolution. But Vertigo is like, well, I don't really know what we just saw. You know? Right. <laughs> it's like, right. what just happened? Yeah. Uh, and for me, it was kind of like in that, whoa, what the fuck just happened, like, cool kind of way. Yeah, totally. Uh, whereas, you know, very often you can finish a movie and go like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. Angry. Yeah. Um, we, uh, uh, um, <clears throat> so we watched that. I also, I love Strangers on a Train. I think I love the, I, like, the premise of it more. Because uh, the movie was, like, really good. But I feel, I remember watching the movie going, like, I wish it was more. Yeah. Um, uh, there's also a couple other um, just like pieces of work that are about Hitchcock. Like there's plenty of things like that. But there's like that uh, that um, uh, Anthony Hopkins movie um, about Hitchcock oh, that came out a few right. years ago. I didn't see that. Um, it was pretty good. Uh, okay. Hopkins played Hitchcock. Um, there's also there's another podcast uh, called The Blacklist Table Reads. Um, have I talked to you about that at all? I don't know. I don't think. So. Are you familiar with uh, what the the blacklist is? Yeah, the like the unproduced or yeah, the un- yeah, the unmade screenplays. Um, so they'll they a, a few years back they started doing like live table reads for these screenplays. Um, they get like you know legit actors to do them, and then a few uh, a few years after that they started doing a podcast. Um, 
and uh, this past season they did one called like Hitch or something like that, and it was about like a young. It was a, a fictional story about a young Alfred Hitchcock uh, who gets wrapped up in this sort of fucking murder mystery, uh, and and like throughout the story you see like the. Uh, seeds of idea where he would get the ideas for all these the stories, yeah. yeah, which like totally works well and is totally forgivable, like as a, a podcast, as a table read. But like, if it ever like went to a movie, it would just be like so fucking like over the top, a little heavy handed, very heavy handed. You're yeah. like, don't do that, yeah. Um, but it is a good listen. I definitely suggest uh, giving that a listen. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and what's your name? Norman Bates. I mean, <laughs> but for real, though. Yeah. Like, straight up. Cool. Yeah, you know, um, so, and I get what you're saying, too, about, like, say, strangers are on a train, because it's a lot of great execution mm-hmm. of, in, like, a real particular time, in, like, a real, like, shit, it's, like, most, like, Gonna sound so basic, but all it's mostly all black and white. Yeah. And this weird thing, you know, it's like, what is it? Like someone in Saboteur, which is a, a which is actually a pretty good movie, but it's like all based around like them thinking he's like a communist. You know right. what I mean? Like right. there's definitely a lot. A lot of that work is very good, but has aged a lot. Right. I don't even know if it's aged. it hasn't aged poorly, but it's it's pretty aged. Right. Um, I think. Um, so, and this show, uh, just to, to sort of start getting on that, this show came out in 55. Mm-hmm. Let me, okay. These <laughs> are the films that happened before the show okay. that you may know. And then we will do the ones that happened after. So, I will start, even though it's not that famous. Well, the first famous one I think is still pretty good. The 39 Steps, uh... Sabotage, Lady Vanishes, Rebecca, for which won Best Picture in 1940. Alfred Hitchcock never won an Oscar, except for, uh, I think he got producer credit on Rebecca. Yeah, he never got Best Director, though. That's right. Suspicion, Septuor, Shadow of a Doubt, uh, Spellbound, Notorious. This is all, this is, this is the mid-40s. Rope in 1948 with Jimmy Stewart, which I believe only contains nine shots. Yeah, like nine, like nine or however many different shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, Strangers on a Train in 1951. Dial M for Murder, which sucks dick because it's a play that they film. It's very boring. Don't oh. watch Dial M for Murder. All right. Uh, Rear Window, 1954. And then 1955 hits. To Catch a Thief, which got Cary Grant in it. I love, love Cary Grant. So post-show or during show, To Catch a Thief. Vertigo, North by Northwest, Psycho, The Birds, and and that about rounds it out. You would think that wouldn't be the case. Like right. you think he's got to work on this show. Yeah, uh, that would like take up a lot of his time. Mm-hmm. Like no, no, not so much jamming on it. But it's interesting too because I always sort of figured that this was like a, an afterthought or after he'd had all his good movies, like a twilight right. of his career type of move. Right, that wouldn't make sense. I feel like. I've, Probably framed it the same way as well. Yeah. So it was interesting to learn that this was like right in the middle and arguably... His prime. Yeah. Uh, right before he was just going to start cranking out like real, real hits. The, you know? the real iconic ones. Yes. The yeah. ones that are most remembered in the public consciousness. 
So that was interesting. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, uh, uh, I found it fun that, you know, in this first episode, he had his Hitchcock wand. Yes, he did. Uh, which is a staple. All about those. Man, Hitchcock, he loved some women, man. He loved pretty women. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he made, like, no bones about it. Either. No, he did not. It was very clear. Um, yeah, uh, this, I gotta say, I was so happy to see this was 26 minutes long. I was so happy to have, like, something short, you know, to yeah. kind of be able to ingest and, like, okay, cool. Because I'm sure he could have done, you know, a 45, 50-minute version of this, but I'm, I was pretty happy with yeah. 26 minutes. I thought it was, like, the perfect amount of time. Yeah. Um, it got its point out there. Yeah. It got its twist out there. It did everything that it needed to do. Yeah. Um, I also like him at the top and bottom of the show. Like, he's he's a funny dude. He is very funny. He's incredibly deadpan. Deadpan and just this, like, dark humor to it. Yeah. Uh, the way he, like, interacts with the commercials coming in and out yep. is fucking hilarious. Yeah, at the end of it, it, like, they come back from commercial break just to wrap it up and do the credits. And he's like, that was very well put. In fact, I have nothing more to add. <laughs> he's like, wow. <laughs> no, that was very, very, you know, just innate comedic ability. You know yeah, what I mean? and timing and, and, oh my God. and delivery. Hitchcock, I got two funny Hitchcock stories about his sense of humor. He famously said, it's a, I don't know if it's true or not, but famously he's attributed to an actor asking him what their motivation was for the scene, and he told them it was their salary. <laughs> <laughs> and um, if, if you ever get the chance and get, hold, get a hold of a copy of, a, of Strangers on a Train DVD, the commentary on that is excellent because it's actually, it is, it's super old. Yeah. But Hitchcock is talking about the film. This must have been done in like the early 70s. Yeah, how in the fuck? Must have been like early 70s, but Hitchcock is like talking about it. And you can tell that the guy interviewing him is like, not so much nerd, he's just super enthusiastic. He's talking yeah. to fucking Alfred Hitchcock. Right. But he sort of starts like reaching and, and he gets tripped up or whatever. And there's a scene in Strangers on a Train where this merry-go-round like gets kicked into overdrive mm-hmm. and they have to like shut it down by crawling underneath. And, um, and the, this guy just sort of like in admiration of him, keeps complimenting him. He's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, that's it. This is incredible. This is incredible. How did you get this shot? And Hitchcock just goes, we put a camera underneath the merry-go-round. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I know. But I mean, I was just, you know, I was just like in admiration of it. And Hitchcock's just like, all right, dude, whatever. So like some uh, 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 a higher energy version of like the Chris Farley show. Yeah, exactly. Um, this shot is really great. Yeah. When you put the camera yeah. under the merry-go-round, uh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> so, you know, uh, a good comparison and hopefully something that, uh, or a good observation about Hitchcock's sense of humor. And, you know, going forward, for sure, I hope that that's very much uh, present in the show. Uh, I don't think it wanes either. When I was trying to find um, the right promo to use for uh, the elevator pitch, I ended up watching like a bunch of different intros for the show that are just fucking great and funny and uh, just so good. Um, 
Uh, we haven't really talked about the actual show itself, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, what were you expecting? Because we go in and we just... Uh, uh, all we know about the show is that it's this particular episode is entitled Revenge. It's not Revenge. So I got really thrown. And I think that, now that I think about it, it might have even been very, very intentional by Hitchcock. Well, uh, I think you were talking about the same part, uh, where husband leaves... Uh, wife's talking to, like, the neighbor lady. Right. Um, and uh, she's like, oh, you want to go to the market with me? And and, she, and the, the wife's just like, no, nah, I'm going to stay outside and sunbathe. Right. Um, and just catch some rays. And she, like, takes off her, her top or whatever, and she's wearing, like, a, a, a two-piece. Yeah. Like, looking smoking hot. And the lady that she's talking to is, like, this, you know, older sort of housewife right. um, type deal. And... Housewife lady just throws like the shadiest look. Mad shade. Yeah. Mad shade. And Hitchcock just gratuitous, like four second, just leg shot. It's yeah. just like, yeah. Yeah. boom. <laughs> He's like, I don't think we got it. Let's do it again. Uh, and so, yeah, like naturally you're thinking, like, all right, well, this lady's going to have something to do with the, you know, either perpetuating the or, or committing the crime or, or, you know, like the resolution of it or something. Right. Why introduce this character if they're not going to be involved more prominently yeah. than just a set dressing, you know? But she wasn't, though. Like, as it would turn out, she had nothing to do with anything. Right. Um, but it also just, like, really helped pepper that character in, like, who that character was. The, like the housewife, yeah, the, uh... yeah, the housewife lady. Like she could have just been set dressing and just been like, "Oh, you want to go to the market with me?" Right. No, all right, cool. But like this character didn't like that, so it was misdirection for us. But also, it was a cool little thing for that character and that actress herself. Sure, you know, I it, it was, yeah, yeah. And that like everyone has a voice and a perspective, sure. you know, as opposed to just being like, "Okay, I'm going to the store." I, I'm, again, this is, this is trickier because it's Hitchcock, and being misled would, could often be a very intentional thing. Sure. Now, with somebody else, or even still might be the case, it might not just be confusing story. I mean, you could still do confusing storytelling. The, the audience knows it's watching a story, and it's, it's trained in cues, and, you know, it's like the art of, of, subverting those cues that it, you get interesting things like this but then there's also just like failures to do it right you know it's like um i thought that i thought that the way that she was so so when this you know this catastrophe happens and this wife is you know, the or the beautiful young woman or whatever is like whatever happens to her when the housewife is like being interviewed by the police it's real like un it's kind of like remorseless it's like real at least to me, yeah. she didn't seem bothered at all by it. So I thought that either even further reinforced that, like, okay, this lady had something to do with it. I thought if she had been more upset, even though she's just a stranger, if she had been more upset about it, be like, oh, I, you know, I don't know, that I would have, I would have appreciated this character as more than uh, just being, as being three-dimensional instead of just confusing. Well, I think that, see, I'm going to take the opposite side in, in that I think that would, her not being that upset by it is just consistent with how she felt about her earlier. It's like, oh, well, she's going to be a fucking, you know, neighborhood dandy and just flaunt her, you know, goods all over the neighborhood. Then she was probably asking for it. 
which like is a horrible thing. It's a great thing from a storytelling as a but character. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that is a great character perspective. But then again, I'm going to need. I'm good with that, but then I'm going to need more sass talk. You know, like I don't need her to be a cartoon, but as this that her talking to the police after it happens is that moment to either, you know, indict her as being involved or 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 or, or uh, what's the opposite of indicting someone? Uh, 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 exonerating. Exonerate her as, like, clearly not involved. But, it, again, involved or not. But I, I like that. That is a great characterization because that's, that is the implication. It's like, well, and that gives the story a ton of, a ton of flavor. But I think I could have used a little bit of shade there. It's like, no, I didn't hear anything. She was just sunbathing out. You know what I mean? Sure, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even yeah. then, like, that still doesn't mean that she, like, did anything or anything. Because, like, right, right. at that point, we still don't know. Right. I, I agree. Like, they, they probably could have laid it on even a little thicker. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah. So, but even then, like, she doesn't even really matter. Right. We just spent about <laughs> ten minutes on, like, a, a tertiary. I feel like with a Hitchcock, though, you could do that. Like, there have been studies, I'm sure. There have been papers written about these tertiary characters that, like, you know... Like, what do they really, like, yeah, mean? what were they really yeah. important to them? And so I think this would hold true. I can't, um, I can't verify this. Uh, or not that I can't verify, but I'm not super familiar. Um, so certain, you got your Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. who writes everything he directs. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick wrote the screenplay for everything he directed, but everything was based Ninety percent were based adapted on, from something else. Yes, other works. Hitchcock directed everything. I don't think he adapted or wrote much of it. Right. Hitchcock was a a Hitchcock was a director. Yeah. So and, and it is the case for this show. It's like the screenplay or whatever is not something he wrote, but no. he did direct this. It was written by uh, uh, Francis Cockrell and Samuel Blass. Yes. Uh, a story by Samuel Blass. It was teleplay by Francis Cockrell. So it's interesting. Again, you know, like you said, with Hitchcock, Hitchcock is taking what's on the page and again making those really deliberate decisions of how are you going to look at the how's the housewife going to look at the pretty young lady? How's the housewife going to talk to the police afterward? Yeah. So it is. It's um, it's a testament to you know his him as a director. You know, because again, here we are talking about like well, I thought this was I. You know, you can usually call things pretty close. Yeah. You know, it's like, I knew that was going to happen, but I didn't know that this lady wouldn't be involved. You, know? um, you also still, by the end of it, like, don't, don't know. You don't really know what's happening. What, yeah. Or what happened in, what the, in that happened. trailer. Yeah. Uh, because she gives a description to the police. says uh, she was attacked by a tall... Um, a tall man in a gray suit, and she was like clutching a carnation that you would have like in your pocket. Yeah, that's right. Um, when she was found, and uh, that's all you had to go off of. And so the cops are just like, ah, eh, you know, like she's been through a lot. Take her, or the the doctors like take her to a hotel or something like that, and just get away from it. Can I interject with a real quick question? Yeah, obviously this is not something you could ever say on television. Is the implication that she was sexually assaulted or that she was assaulted? Because here's the thing. I can't quite tell. I can't tell if any time a woman got assaulted back in the 50s, 40s, if that meant she got sexually assaulted or if she just got physically assaulted. 
I could see us like never really knowing unless we were able to ask because yeah. I think it would either be a case where it was a more buttoned up time and so no one wanted to like go there. They didn't want to. And so it's like, ah. oh yeah, she got assaulted. Like, no, 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 just assaulted. Uh, or like if they wanted to go there, they knew they wouldn't be able to go there. Yeah. And so like that's as far as they'd be able to. Yeah. So either way, either I way. think like that, that's another thing that could be left up to interpretation. I really like that point about how the just standards of the time, just this idea of like, even if it was, we really don't want to even talk about it. They were we in two want... separate beds. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was that, that kind of time on television. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So they're, they're driving, they're on the way out of town. They're driving through town and uh, she's looking at people like on the sidewalk and she says, there he is. That's him. That's him. And earlier in the episode, uh, husband was just like, if I see that motherfucker, I'm going to kill him. Yeah. Minus the motherfucker. And interesting in that scene, when he says that, she's like, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting moment. Yeah. And so he's like, that's him? She's like, mm-hmm. he's like, all right then. Wait here. Yeah. He parks the car. <laughs> puts a nickel into the meter. Yeah. Uh Follows this dude into a hotel. Yeah. Follows him to his room. With a wrench hidden up his sleeve. Yep. And uh, and this was, I think, probably like the best, most Hitchcockian shot in the show. Where um, after the guy in the gray suit went into his room, uh, hus- the husband gave it a minute, opened the door, and then like went around the corner in the room. And you see them both in a mirror for a second. And then they go out of the frame of the mirror. And then you just see the shadow. Of of the husband coming down with the wrench overhead yeah. and uh, and taking out that dude, fucking beat down. Yeah, um, that was like an awesome, like signature Hitchcock type of shot. Yeah, showing without showing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's like textbook trademark Alfred Hitchcock right there. And so um, the husband leaves the hotel uh, without getting intercepted by anybody. Leaves and, um, you know, eventually, you know, the body is found. Or you yeah. can see the hotel staff start freaking out. And so cut back to husband and, and his wife, and they're driving um, even to like another town or another place. Yeah. And ladies looking down the sidewalk and sees another guy in a gray suit, dark hair, and she goes, that's him. Yeah. Uh, in the same, like, tone and yeah. tenor and all that as the last time she said it. Yep. And so that just, you know, we leave the show on shot of homeboy just like starting to put it together a little bit. Yeah. Thinking that he may have just, you know, I had to paint it in broad colors, strokes for everybody. Yeah. Thinking that he just killed a dude who probably had nothing to do with it. Yep. Yeah. He was like, oh, I just, I just killed a dude that likes gray suits. (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Ah. No, I kill it. Did I kill a dude? I kill a dude with good taste. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I wish I could have pulled that suit off. Shit. Um, but yeah. yeah, and just a very like classic, just kind of like just twist. You know, I really that isn't like too big of a twist. Yeah, not too big. It's not like Twilight's own levels of like, no, we're all 
sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> Which are great in their own right, but this yeah, is <laughs> just a more, like, Hitchcock, man. He was just more subtle about things, except That's, birds. <laughs> the episode Rich would have written. <laughs> we're all sandwiches. <laughs> okay, just see. Cut to 50, 1950s Rich in the writer's room with Rod Serling. What do you have, Camelucci? I just um, looked out of my sandwich. <laughs> oh, man. Well, here we go. A man wakes up in a, in, a, in a small town that's deserted, and he walks into a diner, and all he sees are sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in all the booths, on the chairs are sandwiches. On all the tables, are fingers. That's that's it. Yeah. Just and then fade to black. Fade to black. <laughs> we have three minutes. Yeah. And then it just how crazy Rod? How crazy would it be? <laughs> just stays black the rest of the episode. Come on, come on. You want advertisers to pay for. 57 minutes of blackness on network television. We could sell it. We could sell it. I know, I know, right? Pretty crazy. Pretty Twilight um, Zone-y, huh? I, yeah. The most Twilight Zone episode ever. Um, I watched the episode after this. Did you? Yeah. Entitled Premonition. Yeah. Um, With John Forsythe? John Forsythe. Um, not the improviser John Forsythe. Ah. Uh, he, that's an improviser, right? Yeah, yeah, he's a, yeah. He's he a teacher. A think so. Yeah, I think he's a gator. Yeah, um, but uh, uh, also Cloris Leachman. Who's that? Cloris Leachman. Um, really? Oh, Cloris Leachman. No, come on, Young no. Frankenstein. Uh, she's Frau Brucher. Um, uh, 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 is she the? Uh, so is she like the uh, the. Uh, did she play like the violin? Yeah, yeah. He was my boyfriend. My boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And she's been in like producers and okay, uh, cool. Uh, fucking uh, like a billion things. She was in Beer Fest. Oh, okay. that's the third thing that came to my mind. Um, she, yeah, she's like a, a a Hollywood like fucking standby. Yeah. Um, who like Cloris Leachman in you know, 1955? Uh, whoa, hey, I didn't I didn't recognize you, Cloris. That's a, it's pretty cool when you there's like a number of older actresses who are just like stone cold foxes. You yeah. just go back and like holy shit like uh Jessica Walter mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and Helen Mirren and all, you know, it's like yeah, they're like they look nice now and then you see them when they were like 29, it's like holy smoke. Yeah. So um, Hitchcock would be proud of them. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, and that was that was another like pretty cool episode. Um, like, uh, it was you know no like big dramatic like physical like things like that. But it was just basically this dude coming back from um, from uh, being four years away. He's coming back home uh, to a small town home in like New England after being in Europe for like four years doing music. Um, and Meanwhile, the Korean War is going on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and he comes back, and like everyone in the town's like, "Hey, dog, why are you back? Huh? Why'd you come back unannounced? Huh? 
Yeah, and then, like, he finds out his dad's dead. Yeah. So he's trying to figure, he's trying to get to the bottom of that. And that one has a little bit more of, like, a a twisty twist to it. A little bit more of, like, a, of a, um, all right, here's the truth. And I don't want to spoil it, but it's like, well, you weren't in Europe. Dad is a sandwich. I had a sandwich earlier. I ate my father. (laughs) (laughs) I ate my father. I hate my father. <laughs> I, I know he'd never do this, but it'd be hilarious if it, when it cut back to Hitchcock, he was just like, wow, that was bad. <laughs> I didn't direct that shit. We were rushed for time. <laughs> um, you think there's like any, like, what's the best, like, oh, there's no real, like, spoof of Hitchcock or anything. Like, he was a genre unto himself, and there was never really any sort of, like, taking the piss out of him. Yeah, you're right. Um, one thing that I saw when I was a younger man, uh, it, I was in London with my drama troupe, mm-hmm. and we saw, a, there's a stage production of The 39 Steps, and it's very, almost slapsticky, and really? it's very funny. Um, so if you're, I'm not sure if the production is the same or if it's going on anywhere still, but the production of 39 Steps is pretty fun. Hmm. Um, I think it might take a couple opportunities to call out, um, like Hitchcockian tropes. Exactly. Things like that. There's no equivalent. I don't think like the way Big Lebowski is a lampooning of like the Raymond Chandler, you know, film noir stuff. Yeah. I don't know if there's a really great Hitchcock, like a suspense one where like everyone's just like an idiot. You know what I mean? I guess you could say the, the shot for shot remake of psycho was that. Yeah. Did you ever see that? I did not. I caught bits and pieces of it. Back when I was on pay-per-view Vince Vaughn, I think the Nafrio's as well. Like one of those, Vaughn D'Onofrio joints. I could be completely wrong. But yeah, uh, Gus Van Zandt um, directed that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it would be a fun thing, though. That would be a, a lot of a lot of fun. That would have to be. Like, to just retread those steps of, like, a great... That'd be awesome. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like the Coen brothers could do a really good job of doing it. If you... It's not exactly the same, but there's a really funny scene. Have you seen Burn After Reading? Yeah. The, the scene in Burn After Reading when uh, Brad <laughs> Brad Pitt calls up John Malkovich to try and like extort him, but he's like too stupid to do it. Yeah, like that's like a perfect. That would be like a perfect sort of element of this yeah. parody. When we were talking about um, the Strangers on a Train earlier, I was trying to think about like who would be like capable hands to sort of remake that today, like. Because I feel like what would happen in reality is like a uh, like a Michael Mann would get that and just like yeah. fucking action it up and shit and it would just be fucking really bad. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, like Cullen Brothers would be sort of the right sort of reverent tone, but like it would bring it to relevance today. Yeah, who would have the thoughtfulness to to? Uh... And also, I think one thing that's totally lacking in in everywhere today but in filmmaking a lot is patience yeah it's a lot of patience in these Hitchcock films very much and and you could argue that they're slow or boring and those might be the same thing but at the same time 
the the way you get a lot of these iconic moments, you can't get you can't get the shower scene in Psycho without the preceding twenty minutes of yeah. buildup. You have to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure who would be well equipped to handle it, but you just you gotta have some yeah. patience. Or as um, a lot of people would call it back then, suspense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> The guy, uh, I think it was James Wan, yeah, who directed the the first. I think he's directed the second one as well, uh, The Conjuring. Oh yeah, um, that was like a really well, like that was a better movie than a horror movie, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. I think he probably would do a, a pretty like a, a commendable job. Yeah, uh, at something like that. Um, who, which director today? Would you like to see have like a series like this? That's a fantastic question. I was trying to think about that as Ooh, what a uh, good question. yeah, as I was I was watching it, and you know, like just someone who. I mean, that's the hard part. It's like no one really has like a very defined sort of like style to them, yeah. aside from like Tarantino, you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about that right now. I, you know, and the strength of this format is that you could, you know, these are all independent stories, so mm-hmm. you're never like bogged down by that. Mm. I could think of just there's lots of talented people who like I know could like pull good stories, good talent, but like you said, like it's not like their style. Yeah. Like. Uh... In, like, say, a, a very broad sense of the term, like, you know, like an improv game where you have to do, like, different styles of things, mm-hmm. like a Western or a musical, mm-hmm. like, you could throw out Tarantino, and that's a style of things, yeah. you know? This is is not super current, and maybe just because if Christopher Guest had something like that, okay, that'd be fun. Yeah. Just every week, kind of that style. Again, that fun. style. Yeah. I like this more and more. Yeah. <laughs> like every week, you get a thirty-minute like doesn't have to be a documentary, yeah. You know, but just but slice when, of life type of yeah, yeah. Like to the camera, yeah, stuff. and people, yeah, to the camera and same characters all kind of previous way. That'd be fun. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh shit! Cool. Good job. Oh, thanks. You did it. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, if you could ask Hitchcock, uh, like, there's a Q and A after this after this episode. You could ask him one question about this episode, Revenge. Uh, would it be clarification on that house? Uh, <laughs> or what would you ask? Hmm. Another great question, Rich. Um, I'd ask him why, I mean, this is just super broad and just trying to get some out of him. Why is it unimportant that we know exactly what happened? Okay. Like, why is it okay to tell a story where you don't exactly know what happened? Yeah, the incident isn't the crux. Yes. Like, why is that cool? And I think maybe <laughs> I could get him to to admit something like that. It's yeah. Like, it's not really about the events. It's about, you know, consequent or reaction to things. Yeah. Or, or, you know, it's like, yeah. I'd be curious to see what he has to say. Because I feel like you could probably unpack a lot of... 
lot of themes out of just like this one episode. Yeah. As far as like what goes into revenge and vengeance and and yeah. like just following blindly, like right. You know, being blinded by the fact that she's not only coming off of a big like nervous breakdown, but like she also just had this huge traumatic event. Yeah. You're gonna take her word for it because you're also worked up. Yeah. And you're maybe not in as good a state as she is. Yeah. So. What about you? You got something in mind that you? Uh, uh, I would. I would have probably like some dumb question locked up, and then you would ask that, and I feel like an idiot for asking mine. Uh, that's generally how I, how it happens for me at Q and A's. He'd probably get tired of all the seriousness, and if you hit him with something more fun, he'd probably be a lot happier to have, to <laughs> answer that. Like, hey, did you guys uh, like take breaks like right by the beach there? Like, hang out? Like, were there any like cool beach parties at night? What do you eat when you guys are on set? It's like. I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> Sandwiches. Sandwiches. I don't know. No. Um, yeah, man. So how are you feeling? You, uh, you picking this one up? Yeah, this is very cool. And uh, cinematography. And a lot to be said about it. I feel like most people who, like, when they start out discovering movies and, like, want to make m- movies... They like the first thing is just like, oh, what's a cool shot? Yeah. And you learn that it's so much more than that. But and also so much less than that. Yeah, but I do feel like it is easy to forget that, and it's like it's nice. Like if you could defend every shot or every shot be interesting, it's like more power to yeah. you, and still you know have like a good story behind it. So yeah, and I'm there's also about. like power behind just having a well framed shot. Yeah, like you know, oh, don't do a weird thing where like fucking get your Dutch angles out of here, stop that shit, mm-hmm. and just like. Have a shot where everything in the frame, like, is there for a reason. Yeah. You know, it's, like, not special, it's not mind-blowing, but it's it's crafted well, and it means something. Yeah. Also, you know, I'd totally pick it up. Another cool thing, maybe we could say that this was one of the first steps to um, adding, you know, legitimacy to TV. You know, it's, like, not legitimacy, but... Okay, this, well, bringing, I, I know what you mean, like yeah. sort of bringing the film world to TV. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the film world or, or ideas of outside art forms or a top, top, top tier talent yeah. coming to the small screen. I mean, that's, it's only been recently that people have sort of accepted the fact that like TV, you have more creative and artistic freedom to do those things and that top tier talent should be focusing on doing Television ventures as opposed to film ventures. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, like you see here is an example of that happening back then. But like you know, obviously it didn't spawn a revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's pick- still yeah, I do. Oh, I pick it up. I watched the second episode right away. Totally. Um, it is fucking crazy to think about. Like he was doing his like most iconic and like most remembered work. In the middle of this. Yeah, while having this go on. Yeah. It's crazy. And uh, I'd like to point out that that makes, um, in the last two or three episodes, we have seen segments directed by both Alfred Hitchcock and Steven Spielberg. Yeah. We're fucking kicking ass right now. For a fucking TV podcast. Yeah. Uh, You know what's something really fucking weird that I heard recently? I can't remember where the hell it was. It was... um, Interview somewhere, and I don't know if this is still the case, but apparently, if you direct the pilot episode of a show, uh-huh. 
you get a piece of that show in perpetuity. No fucking way. Yeah. For real? For real. Wow. Yeah. Ooh, what a what a nice little racket. For for real though. God damn. Yeah, like someone was talking about it in reference to like fucking uh Glenn Burroughs or one of the dudes that like directed the first episode of Cheers or some shit or like, you know, any of those dumb sitcoms that not dumb because Cheers is great, but like those other dumb sitcoms that'll like run forever. Yeah. Like Who directed the first episode of Friends? Doesn't matter. Some rich yeah, motherfucker. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I just thought that was, like, super interesting. And, like, I yeah. don't understand how that works. Or, like, why that? Why? Why? Neither. I do understand. I've kind of been thinking about this recently. I do understand that the path to, like, financial well-being and, like, legitimate wealth is things like that. You have to, you have to be able to get something that is just, like, I'm going to get a little bit, like, but every week for, Long term. for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like, that's how you be not poor. Yeah. Like, if you, I think, you know, this sort of idea of, like, you get a million dollars at once, it's like, no, no. Hitting no. it big. You just need the little drips, the drips into the bucket, yep. you know? Um, this is completely off topic, but I uh, forgot to bring it up earlier. Um and I'm not going to fucking edit this to move it around earlier either, because fuck it, I don't want to. Cool. Uh, we saw uh, Marvel's Captain America Civil War. Yes, we did. Uh, last night. Just last night. Because I feel like we're done talking about this. Oh, yeah, we <laughs> are. It's right, great. Cool. Check it out. Um, well, uh, now having a, a night to sleep on Civil War, what are your thoughts? I'm still over the moon about it. So much fun. It's definitely... You know, and again, I am a comic book fan. And I've even made this distinction with, uh, at my workplace, I was saying how uh, like 85% of the people in my workplace want to see it. However, they're not, a lot of people are fans of Marvel now that didn't grow up reading comic books. Like, yeah. I grew up reading comic books, and this was a, a beautiful, like, love letter to that. I mean, uh, you know, so I'm over the moon by it. I think uh, there's a certain uh, web slinger in there who we talked about that's like, you know, just to not, won't give anything away, but in 20 minutes, they basically did more for that character than his five previous incarnations. So that's all you need to say. It's unbelievable. You know, in, in addition to that. Just being locked in a room. Yeah. Like, that already did more. Insane. Yeah. And then uh, they're also introducing another fantastic character who I'm happy will have his own solo film in one or two years. So much great stuff in that movie. How about you? Um, yeah, it was having not been a, a Marvel reader for as long as you have, um, and and as someone just kind of like getting burnt out on comic movies. I feel like we talked about that. Yeah, some many time people, ago. Many people. Um, I was very much not looking forward to going to see this movie. I kind of didn't want to see it. I kind of saw it because I felt bad for Spencer that no one responded. <laughs> to his message wanting to go see this. I'm just like, oh, I can't just be like the only one that doesn't go. Or like, the, like, uh, just, uh, he asked like fucking how many people. I don't, and if it was just like you and him, I would have felt like really bad. Oh, well, see, that's funny. It's like, I think we were totally down for that at one point. And then we ended up being uh, the four of us. Yeah. Going. But yeah, no, I get you. Uh, but I'm glad I saw it. Uh, there were a lot of, I mean, it was, it was all the, the cool, fun things about 
Marvel movies that you like. Right. Um, to interject super quickly, this is just like, I get a criticism a lot, of, a lot of times, like, it's never about, like, the film itself. It's always just, like, leading towards something else. That may or may not be a fair criticism, but, like, I would present this to you. It's like, this is the 13th film, and man, I think, I think having all those other ones really were worth it, because, yeah, it's some cool yeah. stuff going on. Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of people are also uh, just talking about why, like, the Russo brothers are kind of like good for the job because they sort of do come from a television background. Yeah. And at this point, it's just a longer extended television series. Yeah. And so they know how to like manage budgets, manage personalities and, and tell the story from one, uh, big temple to the other, or like, you know, from one episode to the next. Right. Um, and you know, again, sort of like, the biggest thing in movies is having its roots in television, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, I liked I liked those new elements that you agree, uh, uh, sort of alluded to. Yeah. Those were my favorite parts. Favorite things. And best. Paul Rudd. Um, He's great. Like those, th- the three newest parts to the whole universe were my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, and... Hey, you know me, you know how much I care about him, but it just, it just stands diametrically to... Batman, Superman, and what they're trying to do, and I don't want them to fail, but I do want them to stop. Yeah, so fail bad enough to where they have to like. Just, all right, we're gonna try it again. Um, well, let's start with the Superman movie. I mean, we talked about this after last night. Like, yeah. stop starting with your fucking biggest stakes. Exactly. Like, it's not what Marvel did. Marvel started with Iron Man. No one gave a shit about Iron Man, much less knew about Iron Man, mm-hmm. um, until after that movie. Everyone was like, this motherfucker is cool. Yeah. Why don't you sort of think about your character and what makes him tick and what makes him good and bad? It's just basic fucking storytelling. Yeah. Which is so but, disappointing. But also from like a, uh, like a business perspective, like the stakes were a lot oh. lower Yo, with an Iron Man movie than they are with a Superman movie. That's just... That's just the fucking bottom line, Absolutely. is the stakes are a lot lower. Yeah. If Iron Man was not a good movie and it bombed at the box office, oh, like, they would have fucking licked their wounds and got something else together. Oh, yeah. Whereas you start with a fucking Superman movie that, like, people are kind of in the middle about and it did well at the box office, you fucking locked yourself in to the next thing. And they're just stuck. They're locked into making... Shitty to mediocre movies, which sucks. I don't know what'll happen there. I really don't know. It's it's really tough because I'm so stoked and was, but am just completely confident that the Avengers Infinity War movies will be good. Mm-hmm. And and Doctor Strange and Black Panther and Spider Man and Ant Man that to all that will be good. But I'm just so worried for DC. Um. <clears throat> If you had to, like, hit the reset button on the DC train right now... Yeah. Like, what's the movie you would fucking start with? You know, well, they fucking... I mean, we, we've talked about this before. Arrow and Flash have huge fan bases. Yeah. If, if they hadn't already been doing all that, either of those... If I were to try and find... What would the Iron Man of, of the DC universe be? I would do Flash. Flash. I'd do a Flash film... And start there, and just slowly build up, you know. And then you start bringing in other people. Um, 
they really they've really shot themselves in the foot because we've seen we've had failed Superman movies, we've had failed Green Lantern movies. Yep. Green the Green Lantern Corps would be great if nobody had had this bad association with it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Marvel didn't start with Captain America. No. Like on paper, unthoughtful studio executives probably wanted them to start with Captain America. Because mm-hmm. to me, Captain America was much more known than, than Iron Man. Yeah. They made an incredible Hulk, you know? Hulk had failed in 2003 or whatever, mm-hmm. or was at least shitty. In 2007, they did Hulk again. Yeah. I think, arguably, there's more attention on that news, you know, than Iron Man, what's this? We don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know, man. It's, it's a tough call. They, they, have, they have the CW. Stop shooting yourself in the foot. Make a Flash film. Make an Arrow film. Yeah. You have an audience already. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean for it to get sour towards the end there, no, but uh, no, Civil just, War was fucking dope. Super dope. Glad Let's you liked it, it. Especially knowing yeah. that I'm sure a lot of you feel like Rich. It's like, I'm not, this is the 13th Marvel movie. That's this is the, fucking nuts. This is the umpteenth, you know, superhero film. It's like, I'm losing interest, or I've lost interest. Yeah. But if you're going to give another one a shot, have some fun, watch it. Also, if you're not having fun, I don't believe you don't like it. If you're not having fun... You're kind of a douche. So I'll send that out to everybody, yeah. too. Well, that's, that's sort of what was happening. Like, in Age of Ultron, I just wasn't having that much fun anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that, and... Which I would allow that because yeah. it wasn't super fun. The, the, this is more fun. The most fun I had in that movie was you getting excited about the uh, the scene we were talking about last night. Um, the, the, the Wakanda... Um, the, oh yeah! When Ultron goes to the ship to like steal the vibranium and all that. Yeah, the yeah. hints, the hints toward uh, Black Panther. Yeah, and Claw. Like yeah. those were those, that was the most fun part about that was yeah. you getting excited about that little fucking thing. Everyone just come see it with me. I'll make it fun. For you. I mean, basically, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, buddy, I think that about does us for today. Yes, it does. And thank you all so much. As always, this show is just made possible by listeners like you. And please, please. Uh, tell a friend, share with people, you know, it's like, that does a lot for us. There's a lot of ways you can support the show, um, but one of the main ones is just listening and telling people if you dig it, getting getting other people to listen to it. Um, there's a, a couple other things you can do, um, one of which, and the most helpful, is to subscribe and rate and review us. Yes. That does us a world of good, and that goes for all the shows on the Arcade Audio Network, um, which uh, you can find all the great kick-ass shows at arcadeaudio.net. At this point, there's too many accounts. Um, there's not as many as there are Marvel films, but there's a lot, and they're all great. <laughs> <laughs> so please check those out as well. Um, if you want to suggest a show for us to watch in the future, we have a little bit of a process. Rich, would you like to... That's not that much of a process anymore. Just post it to our Facebook. Yeah, just do it. Just post it. We're getting um, it rolling. Yeah, uh, but also at the same time, like, do rate and review us. That puts us on the charts, and the higher up on the charts um, that we can get, the more people can see us. And the more people that see us, the more that we're able to do. Yes, the more we get some, uh, some tangible value, even though we have that already, because we have each other. Um, you can always reach out to us a number of ways, too. If you ever need to email us, email us at... Uh, Picked up podcast at gmail.com. If you want to find us on Facebook, search Picked Up Podcast. And then if you are into the whole tweeting thing, tweet us at Picked Up Pod. <laughs> Personal things, Richard? Um, check me out, Rich Cammy on Twitter, Rich Cammy4 on Instagram. Um, yeah, just 
Just, we're just having a good time over there. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Uh, real quick, real super duper quick. How was uh, Payback? You went to Payback. At I did, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was. Uh, it ended up being a lot of fun. It was very, very, very scary uh, in the first match when Enzo Amore, um, who's a newer uh, wrestler, if you're not familiar, he's fucking fantastic. He's got the gift of the gab. Um, he suffered a really nasty concussion. It was like knocked out wow. in the first match. Had to be stretchered out. Like he he wasn't moving a muscle. Wow, it was rough. Um, and so it was like kind of hard to get back into everything after that. Um, but yeah, the, the show overall, like after that, was 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 very solid. Good, very solid. That's awesome. Um, yeah, there I, there's there's some nits I could pick, but there were also some pretty cool things as well. So oh, that's fun. And Spencer's a good uh, traveling companion for those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you ever want to. Tweet me or whatever. Tweet me at um, rbravo, rbravo. Find me on Instagram at real.robbravo and so on and so forth. Also, uh, we're doing improv shows every Thursday night at the Bughouse Theater off the Irving Park Brown Line stop in Chicago. Come check those out. They're a ton of fun. Okay. And for myself, Robert, for my dear friend Rich, thanks so much for listening to Picked Up. Keep your dial tuned to awesome. Good evening. It was more Dracula. <laughs> good evening. Oh, good evening. <laughs> it Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.